And now a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, beginning verse 1, reading through verse 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, while 2020 has brought us many things that we are still struggling to make sense of and even survive, on August the 1st of this year, Sarah K. Evans had a plaza opened in her name in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. Now, who, might you, you might ask, is Sarah K. Evans? Consider her the John the Baptist of the Civil Rights Movement. Evans, formerly known as Private Evans, is now 91 years young and reflects on the at first seemingly unremarkable event that has led to public recognition now nearly 70 years later. Now, I need to give credit to Dr. Courtney Buggs, professor preaching at Christian Theological Seminary, for the moving account of Evans' story that I will now share with you. In 1952, Private Sarah K. Evans was on her way home from her first military assignment when she refused to move to the back of the bus. Upon refusing, she was taken to jail and detained for 13 hours. Evans sued the Interstate Commerce Commission for discrimination Despite a judicial victory in November of 1955, the ruling was not even enforced until 1961. Meanwhile, in March of 1955, a young black teenager, Claudette Colvin, refused to give up her bus seat to a white person. Having been exposed to the actions of Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman, Colvin was emboldened to resist the injustice she experienced on the city bus, and as a result, she was handcuffed and arrested. And like Evans, her story was hidden until recent years. You see, before there was a Rosa Parks, the civil rights icon attributed with prompting the Montgomery bus boycott of 1955, there was Sarah Evans, 
and Claudette Colvin, these trailblazing young women set in motion that which would be later attributed to Parks. Now, their names are scarcely, if at all, associated with the civil rights movement, but their actions precipitated one of the most pivotal events of the time. Evans preceded Colvin, who preceded Parks, just as John the Baptist preceded Jesus. Forerunners are often unseen figures and unsung heroes. Their backstories are often unknown. The details of their lives are underimagined or undervalued. They garner minimal attention because they are the forerunners, those who plow the ground, destabilize the terrain, and make ready for change that is to come. They are not the one. They are the one who come before the one. Every movement needs those who function as the advance team, that is, those who prepare the way for something beyond the present state of affairs. In today's reading, we find John preparing the way for Jesus. Who told Sarah Evans and Claudette Colvin that it was a good idea to resist the rules, the norms, the status quo, and gulp the law? It started with a dream. A dream rooted in justice and equality that was not reflected in the ordinary, everyday practices of their time. It was a God-shaped dream. Now, these dreams for justice and for equality are actually quite similar to the dreams John the Baptist had and later those Jesus would share. These kinds of God-shaped, God-driven dreams for a better world, a more just world, a a more loving and peace-filled world, they require forerunners, people with incredible intestinal fortitude who are willing to shock the system and call for repentance. John was calling out the religious establishment who had cozied up to the Roman government, who had occupied their land, as well as he was calling out these Roman occupiers themselves. You see, to dehumanize another in this manner, regardless of the point and time in history, has always been immoral. So, why does it continue to happen? Have you noticed the backlash it creates when those on the side being oppressed at long last find the courage to speak up? The status quo and those who perpetuate the status quo get angry and even violent when called to account. They hide behind the guises of phrases like law and order and civility, and they say things like, that's just not the right time nor the place to protest. Or in churches, yeah, I said it, in churches. Many leaders and pastors, for that matter, live in mortal fear of losing financial support from contributors. And so, quite often, the most pressing ethical and moral matters of the time, 
the most vitally important topics, the stuff that actually matters the very most and is in fact most central to the gospel message brought to us by way of John the Baptist and then Jesus, all of these things are avoided because, you know, we have to keep the peace, we say. Well, this Sunday, the second Sunday of Advent, peace is the liturgical theme. But why does the gospel text we read a moment ago from Mark not have a meek, mild-mannered story, you know, one that offers scenes of sheep eating grass in a picturesque valley with a gently flowing stream? Why instead do we get this fiery, furrowy madman wearing camel hair, living on locusts, yelling at the top of his lungs, vein bulging out in his forehead, repent and be baptized. Well, we get this because we have entirely distorted and completely shifted the biblical understanding of peace. We've messed it up. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. rightly defined biblical peace when he said, True peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. And of course, we know that someone assassinated Dr. King. Well, how did it end for John the Baptist? Well, all four Gospels say he was beheaded. How about Jesus? Oh yeah, a state-sponsored execution on a Roman cross. That's why I say it takes incredible intestinal fortitude to be a forerunner. And what if every single one of these courageous persons I have mentioned today, from Sarah Evans to Claudette Colvin to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., way back to John the Baptist, even Jesus, what if all of these people were actually forerunners? I mean, it's easy to think of Sarah Evans and Claudette Colvin and even John the Baptist as forerunners, but Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Jesus? How could they be forerunners? I mean, Dr. King, the Civil Rights Act was passed directly as a result of his efforts, of course. Monumentally important. But let me ask you a question. Did racism roll over and die the day the Civil Rights Act was signed into law? Of course not. But what if the work Dr. King did, what if he was a forerunner for whatever is next in the battle for racial justice and equality? Hmm. And with Jesus, I mean, the major emphasis of his work and life's teaching was the kingdom of God, the concept he taught and lived and died for, that there is a better way of living in this world one where the lion and the lamb shall lie down together one day if we do it right. One where the last shall be first. The poor shall have everything they need. The sick shall have their health. One where the immigrant is treated as family and welcomed in. And one where greatness is not gained through wealth, but through humble service. I mean, this teaching and the way Jesus embodied it, the kingdom of God, absolutely incredible enough to start a movement that we are all a part of 2,000 years later. But did everyone in the whole world catch this vision and get in line with it as soon as Jesus was done teaching it and living it? Certainly not. 
Some might even say that most Christians still don't get this vision of the kingdom of God very well. What if Jesus' life work was all really done as a forerunner for whatever the church with the capital C is supposed to accomplish next? Well, I think that's actually already been established. So my question is, is there anybody out there listening who's willing to be a forerunner? Is there anyone who has the intestinal fortitude within the sound of my voice of a Sarah Evans or a Claudette Colvin dreaming dreams about our own success and our own comfort? That's commonplace. That's easy, right? But the Sarah Evanses and the Claudette Colvins and the Martin Luther King Juniors and the John the Baptists and the Jesus of Nazareths, well, they prepare the way for peace, true peace that comes by way of justice, not by dreaming dreams that are selfish, but by dreaming dreams they may never get to see fully completed. By their courageous dreaming and first steps of courageous action, though, they advance justice like a baton in a relay race until the next dreamer comes along, receives it, and takes it to run fast as they can just a bit further down the track in their lifetime. Advent is the time that we, dear people of God, stoke the courage up within us to advance the cause of a just peace. It requires some honest soul-searching. As the Reverend Tracy Blackman, Associate General Minister for the United Church of Christ, so aptly put it, preparing the Lord's path means challenging systems and structures that we have institutionalized as normal, but that God condemns as oppressive and crooked. It means clearing the path of self-aggrandizement, self-absorption, and greed to make way for a community where all of creation is valued. You know something? The incredible advantage that we have as the church named after Jesus of Nazareth is that we get to run this leg of the race we call life together. Not everyone can preach like John the Baptist. Not everyone can teach or lead or love, or heal like Jesus. Not everyone can get up in front of a crowd and move them quite like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Nor does everyone have the tremendous courage of a Sarah Evans or a Claudette Colvin to take a stand even with their bodies against injustice when injustice was the law of the land. But you know something? Together, church, together, we have all of the gifts represented as long as we're all willing to do our part. You see, between all of us, we have all of the gifts, all of the graces, all of the leaders, the workers, all of the pieces in place that we need in order to run the race set before us, pursuing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God as we go through this life together. But do we share the courage? Do we share the vision? Do we share the dream for this kind of a world, dear people of God, so strongly that we would pursue true peace in all of our work together.
Not the kind of false peace that masks injustice for the sake of the status quo, but true peace that only comes when justice abounds for all of our neighbors as well as ourselves. You know, our black neighbor, our Muslim neighbor, our gay neighbor, our straight neighbor, our neighbor without adequate health care, on and on. You get the picture, don't you? Those who dream prepare the way for God's kind of peace, a just peace. Thanks be to God for those who have seen and those who will see this dream and prepare the way. Amen. And here's a benediction. What would it mean to truly be at peace with God, with each other, with ourselves, with the land? The divine calls tenderly to us and sets our hearts on paths of peace. The journey is long. But the place is not far, so may we pursue peace courageously as we continue loving one another, every single other. Amen.